so I didn't get around to watching uh the rare pilot. You're fucking bitch. You're just because an I watched asshole. I watched the entirety of the first episode on HBO Max, and right after that, you were like, "Oh, uh, this is not the first episode." Bro, why don't you? <laughs> and then look I watched, at that. and then I watched the Courage the Cowardly Dog episode. You don't check IMDb pilot. for the actual pilots. I always do that. That's not my job. Yeah, it is. You should make sure you're watching the right <laughs> pilot. I do it for your show. You should do it for mine. What do you mean? <laughs> okay, you want to do the intro to this bitch? Yeah, I'll do the intro. At night, and I'm already drunk. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Back to the Pilot. I'm Chase. And I'm Chloe. And today, we get a little freaky as we delve into the supernaturally mundane with regular show Encourage the Cowardly Dog. So join in the awesomeness as we take you Back to the Pilot. I mean, you're not funny, so I don't really know why you thought I was going to laugh during that. You got to join in the awesomeness, though. Join in it. Yeah. I don't know if you cut out Relish for me or if in you it. had a... Did you have a stumble on awesomeness or no? I don't think so. Did okay. I cut out? You might have cut out, but previous times you've cut out, the audio recording actually still gets it. Should I say if awesomeness you do a that few last more times part? if you want to plug it in? Awesomeness. Well, maybe awesomeness. do that last sentence because it's... Awesomeness. <laughs> It's almost seven already. Fuck, dude. We've been chatting for fucking 20 minutes. I know. I know. That's why we got to get going. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Speed run. Speed run episode. <laughs> Speed run. All right. Go. I'm not asking a single question. I'm not jumping I'm not, in at all. Go. I'm not jumping. In. I'm not jumping in at all. All right. Summary. Episode title. Regular show. Um, <laughs> the episode title is regular show. Uh, we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> Chloe. <laughs> Chloe, you gotta you gotta tell me. Mm-mm. What do you know about the show? I don't show? have to tell you shit. Regular. No, you have to tell me. It's part of the it's part of the episode. Like it's part of the show, you know, like we do this every time. Mm-hmm. Like every episode, you oh, know, yeah. we'd each do it to each other. So you have to tell me what you know about regular show. Okay. Um I don't know anything about it other than it's like one of my favorite my sister's favorite. <laughs> I don't know anything about it, but it's my favorite show. <laughs> no. <laughs> Best it's one time. of my sister's like favorite shows. I think it's arguably probably her favorite animated show of all time. Interesting. Um, and that's quite literally all I know. That's about this saying show. something. Um, but you never watched it. I've seen like one or two episodes that my sister wanted to show me, but I've like this is my first time watching the pilot. I, I will say though, I do know the guy. Well, not no, no, I don't know him well, but I've worked with the guy that plays Rigby. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, cool. William Salyers. Very fun. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, I, I didn't know anything about the creation of the show, but I have watched quite a bit of it. Um, I just I think my favorite part about the show is the tagline where it just comes up with regular show and then it says it's anything but. Mm-hmm. I love that. Truly the most irregular show. Oh, I see what you did there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I watched it sort of when it came out. Like I, re- I remember seeing the ads for it when I was uh, back in... God, I must have been in middle school, high school when this came out. Uh, and so I remember seeing the ads for it and being interested in it. Hmm. And then did you watch it or no? Yeah, I watched it on TV. I didn't like stay on top of it in the like, oh, okay. because it's not like sure one of those week. episodic shows really. Yeah. All right. So I touched on this to you uh, when I was doing my research so that you could watch some of it. Um, but... There was a pilot episode 
for the show that was actually released prior to the show's release about a year before. Um, and the app, the episode title for that pilot is just called regular show because it was just essentially the package that was like the, the episode that was put together to pitch to network. So there is a pilot called regular show that was released on August 14th, 2009 on cartoon network.com. Um, but the episode title for the first episode of the show is called the power which was released September 6, 2010 on Cartoon Network. Um, if you want to go watch that first pilot episode, there isn't really, you can't, you can no longer watch that pilot on uh, cartoonnetwork.com, but they did sort of rework the pilot episode into a full episode that was released season two, episode 25, called First Day. Uh, so if you do want to go watch it, you can go do that. Um, the uh, rest of the episodes and the season two episode that I just mentioned are all available with subscription on HBO Max uh, with premium subscriptions to YouTube TV, Sling TV, and Prime Video. And I think most of them are available on CartoonNetwork.com for free. Uh, however, I didn't check the later seasons. I did. I only saw the first full season there. Um so I know like the pilot, like the first number one episode is available there, but uh, I don't know about the later seasons. And then as usual, it's available for purchase on uh, the video purchasing apps like YouTube, Amazon, Google Play. And you know, whatnot. technically speaking, you shouldn't say as usual because they're not always for purchase depending on their uh I'd still say it's pretty usual for that though. Yeah, but it's, uh, is it? I've literally come across things where you can't purchase them because it's syndication. Yeah, we've come like well not but, digitally purchasable. Okay, but like I didn't say all the time. I just said, said usual. as usual. It is as usual. usual. I'd say it's mm. very common for a show to be available for purchase somewhere. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Um the synopsis for the show <laughs> is the daily surreal adventures of a blue jay and raccoon duo that attempt to deal with their mundane jobs as groundskeepers at the local park. Uh, and the synopsis for the first episode is when Mordecai and Rigby need a raise to fix a hole in their bedroom wall, they use a magical keyboard that allows them to do anything they want. Um, and if you care about it, the pilot episode uh, synopsis is Mordecai the Blue Jay and Rigby the Raccoon play rock, paper, scissors for a chair, but they get into a tie 100 times. Uh, and the show is created by J.G. Quintle. That name makes me think of the J.G. Wentworth. Eight oh, yeah. cash now. <laughs> Um, well, I didn't actually write his first two names on because he just goes by JG on everything. Um, I'll get into the uh, sort of actual background on the on JG Quintal himself. Um, he was born in Hanford, California in September of 1982. And uh, while growing up, he sort of describes his hometown as being pretty boring with not a ton to do. So him and his friends were always looking for ways to sort of entertain themselves and would always find themselves just going on random. I, I think he refers to them as misadventures, um, but just like going on random adventures. Um, and he was always into sort of entertainment and animation. Uh, he, he said that as a child, he was inspired by animators such as Matt Groening and Mike Judge, who, I mean, he listed other ones, but I thought those were the most interesting because we've already worked on, we've done shows we that are know, made We've already by worked on people. them. Jesus. We've worked on those shows. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, but into his teenage years, he would enjoy drawing and watching cartoons like The Simpsons, Beavis and Butthead, Rocco's Modern Life, etc. Um, he's like, just like entirety of his childhood and teenage years were pretty much fully influenced by entertainment. So from animation, television to video games, uh, rock music from the 80s um, sort of just led him to consider like moving on to a career in entertainment. Uh, and actually, when he was 16, his father gave him a video camera, which he would use to film stop motion shorts, uh, as well as like some other f short film projects that uh, for his high school. Um, I don't know if they were like projects that were school projects or just like projects that he would take to like, I don't know, a talent show or for some sort of media like uh, like schools would have like online media things when computers started to being used more often. Mm hmm. But anyways, uh, so he would he would use the he'd use the video camera to like, you know, film his own sort of film projects and short films. Uh, and then he sort of just got into expanding his artistry by taking other classes such as AP Lit and Pottery at his school. And then would even take some summer animation classes in like one of which he learned to do uh, like short animated films and make flip books. So like like drawing animated films rather than stop motion animated films oh, like yeah. he was already I doing mean, do you know how many sticky note that pads i fucking wasted on trying to make my own cartoon you've actually done no, this? it's like those you know you take a sticky note pad and then you draw like stick no figures. i know i've never done that though you've never done that oh, no dude. i never got into it i had friends who would but i never did it was super fun well apparently i'm just the odd one out because J.G. Quintel also did this, made flip books. Um, I mean, like, similar to a lot of other teenagers, he would just work a bunch of minimum, minimum wage jobs, including working at his local movie theater. So, again, just sort of staying involved and around entertainment where he could. And in the 12th grade, he was actually nominated as a 12th grade California academic all-star. Uh, I th probably due to his passion for like taking additional classes and just learning more, I would imagine that would get you a nomination for that. I, I don't think he won because it just said he was nominated and usually you don't say that unless they win. Yeah, usually you know it like mean? has that they were nominated and won. Yeah, yeah. or it just says or he just won. Or it just says he won, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it's still cool. I like. I think, I think it sounded to me when I was reading through it that like each school in the district nominated one person so it was still like a pretty high honor to be nominated for that i would imagine uh after high school uh he attended the california institute of arts in santa clarita california um and while attending that school he would actually play this uh this i don't know if i, I would call it a game but they would do this sort of animation marathon where him and about 20 of his fellow classmates would uh, like write singular words onto a piece of paper, toss them into a hat, like, and then just pick a random word out of the hat. And then you'd have 48 hours to create a short film about that word. Interesting. I mean, it seems pretty interesting to me. Um, and this actually led to uh, a creation of one animated short film of his called The Naive Man from Lollyland. Uh, and in 2005, during his fourth year of college, that short film won uh, the Producer's Choice Award as well as the Student Animator Award at the Nextoons Nicktoons Film Festival. Wow. Um, so it won a, won a couple of awards for him. Uh, and it actually, like, his success garnered attention from uh, Fred Siebert. Uh, hey. Who uh, mentioned that, 
Quintal is an original talent to watch out for in the future. We know Fred Siebert's name. And we we know Fred Siebert. Yeah, he did. Um, we don't know him. We know his name. Fairly Odd Parents, right? We know some information about him. We don't know him personally. He's the Frederator guy. Yes. Like he didn't make Fairly Odd Parents, but he's the Frederator no, guy. No, he's the Frederator guy, yeah. So, yeah. Um, in addition to playing this game and creating these short films, uh, while he was at school, he landed an internship at Cartoon Network, uh, which gave him some time working on the TV series Star Wars Clone Wars. Uh, and he also met another student named Pendleton Ward, with whom he would later work on the Cartoon Network show The Marvelous Misadventures of Flapjack. And Ward would actually go on to create um, the Emmy Award winning series Adventure Time. Yeah. So just a sort of like a group of people at his school that all went on to Cartoon Network. Um, Ward probably being the most identifiable by series that I noticed, which is why I singled him out. But there were a few other people in there that said these like these three or four or five people of this like group of friends that he had would all go on to work at Cartoon Network and work on similar shows together. That's cool. Yeah. So that's really cool and just sort of allows you to like I just gives you an idea of what that sort of what that room would have been like, right? Just being in a room of people that are like all have these sort of outlandish ideas that would eventually become major series for uh for the uh for the network yeah which is interesting to me um after after quintil graduated he passed the test and began working as a storyboard revisionist for camp laszlo uh and then would eventually become one of six judges at the third annual nicktoons network animation festival which is different from the next tunes nicktoons film festival okay i was about to say oh so like but then no no, yeah, that's what I thought at first too, but it's a different name. There's the Nicktoons Nicktoons Film Festival where he won those two awards as a senior in college. Uh and the Nicktoons Network Animation Festival that he was a judge at um which is really interesting. A lot of Nicktoons, a lot of animation festivals out there. Uh because then 2 years later in 2007 he entered a short film of his called 2 in the AM PM uh into the Spike and Mike Sick and Twisted Festival of Animation. Uh, which I only included that because I really wanted to say that. You sure? Yeah, I can see why. Um, but two in the AM PM is a short film that he created about uh two sort of like unmotivated convenience store workers where like I like some candy or something gives them some sort of like hallucination, but the hallucination is partially real when the convenience store gets overrun by teenagers on. Halloween, I guess, mm. but like the characters in uh, a lot, a few of the characters from two in the AM PM would go on to be later used in regular show. So he sort of always had this idea of just like, like a regular setting with some sort of supernatural or weird thing happening to it mm -hmm. that just sort of seems to be consistent throughout all of these short films that he created even from when he was back when he was doing his like small projects in high school to doing his short films that have won awards at these animation festivals so uh just just sort of his style i guess was very centered around regular show or the the idea of what regular show would eventually become so with that he would go on to pitch regular show for the Cartoon Institute project at Cartoon Network in 2008 and the 
Cartoon Institute. Just making sure I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> the like, Cartoon Institute really... project uh, was <laughs> a planned Cartoon Network that. project uh, created by a Cartoon Network executive to be a showcase for animated shorts uh, that were created without the interference of network executives in focus testing. And it was supposed to emulate um, the sort of late 90s cartoon cartoon show, which I think you mentioned on one of our previous episodes a show was on the cartoon cartoon show or was submitted to uh, it was cartoon, called cartoon what a cart what a cartoon it's different yeah it was also called what a cartoon show no they're different shows they're different shows i'm double checking but they should be oh it looks like they may maybe adapted to that when they were sold to so what a cartoon was when it was um when it was technically still hanna barbera and then Cartoon Cartoons is what it adapted to when uh, Cartoon Network uh, took over Hanna-Barbera or whatever gotcha. the proper term is for when a yeah. company, two companies merge. Right. Um, so you're correct. Sorry. So they are. So yeah. So it was, it was supposed to emulate that sort of idea and be similar to the What a Cartoon Show that would, that was eventually, that would eventually have become the Cartoon Cartoon Show. And that show had like given birth to some of Cartoon Network's first great series, which includes like Dexter's Lab, the Powerpuff Girls, Cow and Chicken. So just like supposed to emulate like, hey, let's do this thing. Let's get a bunch of projects together and let's see if we can create something that's just like nobody's work, nobody's no executives involved. This is for the employees to submit their projects. Um and I, so I, I thought that was a cool idea. Uh, 39 shorts for the project were in development. Only 14 were completed. But eventually, the, like, the idea of balancing five upcoming shows and adding another proved difficult for the network. And the project was just scrapped altogether, which is really unfortunate. Um, but Quintal had already started putting together his old characters. This was prior to the scrapping of the project, he had already submitted uh, like his uh, sort of pitch. Um, and uh, like this show, regular show, was just this idea he had where he took some of his old characters like from 2 in the AM, PM and from uh, the naive man from Lollyland and added some new characters uh, and... Uh, storyboarded a pilot and he really wanted to present a visual pitch rather than a verbal one because he felt that the idea would make more sense um, than just sort of talking about it. Uh, and the the executives that he pitched to really liked the idea and they greenlit the show. And so of the shorts that were made for the Cartoon Institute, only regular show and the show Uncle Grandpa were ever greenlit. Good for him. So only two of what were 39 shorts initially yeah. uh, got greenlit from that short, uh, from that cartoon cartoon institute project. That's <laughs> you know, a terrible it word. Eventually. It's a terrible word. <laughs> I know. It's That's probably the only, re that's probably the real reason. Cartoon institute. It's just cartoon a name. Institute, cartoon institute. That's a, that's a terrible word. It's just terrible. <laughs> um, uh, well... So yeah, so his was one of only two shows that would ever be greenlit from that. Uncle Uncle Grandpa would be great, like would eventually turn into a show well down the line. Um, but regular show, they really liked his pitch, uh, and I think the um, initial pilot is 
the thing that he created for the pitch, which is why it feels like the the parts that you watch, like from the episode you watched, I think are sort of the sort of shows the um, I guess, would you call it the bones of his like idea? I don't know what you'd call it. The skeleton of it all. Yeah, skeleton might have been what I was looking for. The skeleton of his original, of the skeleton of the regular show idea is seen in that, uh, in that pilot. Uh, mm-hmm. And b- though it wasn't all included in the video that you watched, if you watch the first day episode, you can see that there are parts of the episode that are much more fleshed out. And then just in, in that episode is like cut in with the original. Mm-hmm drawings and the original pilot because you can tell there's a little bit of an animation tweak on some of the um characters and some of the scenes um which i which is actually kind of interesting knowing that watching the episode in my opinion yeah um but yeah uh so the show went into production um like there wasn't a lot of issues getting it there Uh, obviously it already had the job at Cartoon Network. He was given this opportunity through the Cartoon Institute project and was uh, the idea was enjoyed. And so these executives greenlit it. Um, and so he just sort of started writing shows and plots that were sort of influenced by his own and the other writers' personal experiences, which includes like performing prank phone calls, accepting an eating challenge from a restaurant, etc. Like just these sort of dumb things that you can imagine yourself sort of getting into with like your college buddies, right? Like it's just typical like college, almost dorm room experience. Like the like Mordecai and Rigby are supposed to be twenty three years old, right? They're they're fresh out of college, still dumb guys. Uh, I don't I even know if they know went that to they college. Were, to that be was like their ages, honestly. Yeah, you don't get that information in, in the pilot episode, so I had no idea. No, yeah, that's that's something you get in the first day episode is them saying, uh, "We're twenty three years old. We yeah. can't be doing this." <laughs> no, it it's, is in the no, it is in the first episode. It's in the power episode where he says, "We're twenty three years old. We shouldn't be playing with dolls." He's oh. like, but it was, but you had fun. He was like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're until right. You broke it the is. wall. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're right. My bad. That is in that episode. So I just um, wasn't paying attention. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, his, like, he sort of wanted to get a lot of the, ex- like, just his experiences, you know, like growing up in Hanford, California, where there's pretty much nothing to do, just finding things to do. Um, you know, like, like being in college, doing all these, like, like just doing dumb shit, you know, going to a restaurant and just trying to do the eating challenge to eat for free, you know, like that, that kind of stuff. And just adding on to that and creating these insane stories from like these insanely supernatural stories from seemingly normal experiences. Um, in, in addition to those sort of influences, the show is also also influenced by uh, like eighties culture because of his childhood. Um, you can get that from the music and the sort of types of uh, electronics and video games that they play and movies that they enjoy. Um, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. Where, I have no idea where you're going. So sorry. Yeah. I cannot help. I think I was just going to try and wrap it up and just say like, yeah, the actual, the show is 
uh, a full-on sort of um, if if the pilot is the skeleton, like the the show after its production, once it got greenlit, became the full body of what it is of what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And just became all of Quintel's experiences and uh, all of his influences from throughout his life. Uh, the other interesting things that I wanted to uh, touch on, one was the voice casting, because uh, unlike a lot of other cartoon shows, uh, maybe not from the time, but just in general, this the voice acting is relatively low-key because he wanted the show to be listenable and sound natural and conversational rather than having, like, like actual voices you know like just have people's have people talk rather than have people make a voice for this character yeah um and so like the cast includes i mean you've got mark hamill as one character uh but then like some of them some of the people are just like quintal and his old classmates like quintal voices mordecai and high five ghost um and like a, a few of his old classmates are just other characters in the show I just think it's funny you say that just because of the sheer fact that, like, I know what William Salyer's voice actually sounds like, and it sounds nothing like Rigby. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the from, like, the veteran actors such as Mark Hamill and uh, Salomon, it's like... Uh, Salyer's? Salyer's, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what I said. I don't know why I said that. Salomon? Salomon. Sa- salmon. Salmon man. Salmon. The salmon, salmon. The salmon guy. Like um, honestly, like because <laughs> William Sellers does, Salyers does, um, <clears throat> he does uh, Doc Ock's voice in the Spider-Man game. Mm-hmm. That's far closer to what his actual voice sounds like versus like Rigby. Yeah, gotcha. I, mean, um, I think overall game, it's right? just like, yeah, I've played it. No, I know yeah, exactly. So what you you're know, about. yeah, yeah. Okay, just checking. Uh, I was just gonna say, I think the the point being that he's not. Like Rigby is probably the most um uh actually I would say Pops is probably the most uh like exaggerated voice on the show. If you, if that makes sense. I can see that. Like as far as like listenability, like in like yeah. realism of a voice. Yeah, as opposed to like, you know, like like Mr. Krabs always having or like SpongeBob with the super yeah. high pitch voice, you know, like yeah. Like these characters that like the voice actors create a voice for that character versus uh, like in with the example of Mordecai, that's just Quintel's voice, right? Like that's just him talking, reading lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of what he wanted. He just wanted something that was less exaggerated than it's most less cartoons. voice acting and just acting. Yeah, exactly. Um, the animation uh, was actually all done by hand for the show. Um, oh, wow. Each episode took nine months to completely animate. That's kind of like the the Family Guy ones. Um, yeah, but much later, like apparently he was given the option to use a more like hybrid animation method, but he just wanted to stick to more uh, the traditional use of just drawing by hand, and and then they would digitally composite and paint those uh, hand hand drawings uh, because he wanted to capture the artist's actual like the essence of Imperfect. their style Imperf- imperfections. You know, and, and their imperfections. I think like you just wanted to capture their style more uh, realistically rather than just having a computer animation. Hmm. Um, and so like they would like do the 
do the storyboard and then they'd fill in the storyboard with the animation, with the hand drawings and the, and then digitally composite them. And then they'd send them to Korea and have them and like, like actually do the full sort of uh, like episode animation. And then they would all do their voice like lines together rather than in individual moments. Mm -hmm. They would just talk to each other, which I think made it feel more, again, more conversational in that regard. Yeah. Uh, the last thing um, that J.G. Quintel really enjoyed uh, and like wanted to include in his show was the music. Um, the show was in court. The show was inspired by, or not inspired, but was influenced by a lot of '80s rock. So he incorporated many musical elements uh, that are similar to '80s rock, and uh, he brought on Mark Mothersbaugh uh, to work as the main composer for the show. Uh, and they just sent him an episode animatic with a request: "Will you be the main composer for the show?" And Mark Mothersbaugh, Mark Mothersbaugh agreed. Um, <laughs> Love that. At least that's what that's what it sounds like. I mean, it was just said. It just says the episode's animatic was sent to Mothersbow along with a request for him to join the show's staff and crew. <laughs> I mean, hey, if it works, it works. But hey, yeah, exactly. Um, but Mark Mothersbow is great, and I love his music and other and like other compositions he's done. Like he's done a couple things for Marvel, which I really enjoy. I'm trying to think of. I'm gonna uh, I think he up. did. Um, uh, I think he did the first. Thor? No, that's Brian Tyler. Um, he did Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. I knew it was something. I knew it was a Thor movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, he did Mitchell done. versus the Machines too. But yeah, so he's done. He's done some like really popular, really big, uh, like full compositions. Um, but I think his work on this show was like also like in like shorter compositions, but also some like like music. Uh, like lyrical music. Mm. Um, although the show also includes some licensed songs such as You're the Best Around and Mississippi Queen in one episode that's like a very big part of one of, one of those episodes. Um, so just sort of capturing an 80s music vibe was yeah. what he wanted. Um, but yeah, uh, the show was pretty popular. Uh, it was I think for its first and second seasons, it ranked number one in its time slot among all key. Uh, now, the uh, metric I read was the all key, all key boy demographics across television, um, which I get. So not all key children's demographics, just boy demographics. Um, but the pilot's premiere was watched by an estimated 2.097 million viewers. Um, and then, uh, you know me, I, I gotta, I gotta read the critics reviews. Is so, it New York times? <laughs> it's not the New York times. Uh, one IGN reviewer, RL Schaffer called the show zany, absurd, bizarre, and hilarious. Um, another critic named Neil Lombard described the show as having an offbeat sense of humor with a lot of randomness that makes its title both peculiar and hilarious. Uh, and then lastly, one critic from the AV Club called, his name is Alice Dare Wilkins, said he does not consider the show to be funny, but is more pleasingly weird and feels that the episode's plots can sometimes be too complex to explore in 11 minutes. Um, which I always, Those I always love. I kind good, of feel like almost like backhanded compliments, but. I know. 
um, <laughs> which is why I love, which is why I love to look at critic reviews because I th- I feel like every critic's review is always a backhanded compliment. <laughs> it really is. It's like mm, there's so it, much fun uh, to read. Yeah. Um, the right. show ran for eight seasons in total. It ended on January 16th, 2017. The eighth season is sometimes referred to as regular show in space. Uh, I guess it takes place in space. I don't know. Spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) uh, During its run, there was actually a film produced titled Regular Show the Movie, which premiered on television on November 25th, 2015. Uh, So, uh, and other than that, uh, uh, as far as it's like, I haven't seen anything about reboots or re makes for good reason because the show is recently over and uh i don't think anybody's asking for anything like that yeah i was gonna say that's a long that's a long run eight seasons it is yeah eight seasons is a long run especially for an animated show with like like that kind of style i think with the two episodes per episode style yeah Mm -hmm. if that makes sense no, it does. Cool. Um, <laughs> I think that's cool. it. That's that was. <laughs> it ended sort of anticlimactically on my end. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's on you, not but me. But ultimately, I was. Um, ultimately, I just felt that like there wasn't a lot to say about the show's creation so much as about the creator's background that was all incorporated into the show's creation. Because it's just about every step of his life from childhood to high school to college led to the creation of regular show, right? It's not like, like in the past we've had creators, you know, they like had a different career or they studied one thing and then found out that they were good at doing like writing, right? Like, or like they, they developed their love of entertainment later in life. You know, so it just, I feel like so much into this one show and the success that that had was just fantastic for JG Quintel. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if any questions. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I don't. I'm now opening the floor for a Q&A. Instead, should we just go on to superlatives? I'm down for that. All right, let's do it. Uh, my favorite character in the show was Mordecai. Nice. Um, I just love... He's he's funny, but like just you know more mature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked Rigby. Uh, I think Rigby's really funny, but I also just like William Salyers. So. <laughs> that's true. I mean, if you've worked with him too, it's like, like that's yeah, really. Cool I was just really opinion. shocked to find out that was him because I was like, what? Uh, did you like, like hear way- his voice and look it up, or did you see his no, name I just on was the credits curious. while looking at I, it? I, no, so I will one, as we talked about in our cold open, I don't know if it'll make it into the show, but like I always look at what to confirm I'm actually watching the pilot episode. So I did that and then I saw William Salyer's name on there and I was like, oh, he's mm. Rigby. And I didn't know who Rigby was at the time. And then when I started watching the episode, I was like, oh, uh, yeah. Wow. In, but in I also my just defense, like him. I just way. think he's fucking goofy. I mean, they're both Mordecai and Rigby are both just goofballs and they're I like them goofy. both. They're hilarious. Um, in my defense, by the way, I did look up like, like first episode of Courage of the Cowardly Dog and the episode that I watched came up as season one, episode one. And so that's why I watched it. Like, it's mm. not like I just what like went on HBO on? Max and I just looked it up on Google. I said like 
Curse the Cowardly Dog first episode, and that was what came up. That's why I apologize. Whatever. It's unimportant. Either yeah, way. It's not important. I always look it up on IMDb. That's fair. <clears throat> um, my least favorite character was actually Rigby, I think. <gasps> in why? that first episode. I just like the it's the lack of maturity that he's just constantly I don't know, it just feels like there's They're both immature. I know they're both immature. There's just something about it. I don't know. Uh-oh. I don't know. Maybe I see I too mean, much. I didn't really have one. I said uh, maybe Benson because he's a hard ass, but like I, I technically speaking, ass. didn't have one. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like I don't hate Rigby. I think it was just like no, nope, you said it. <laughs> you said it. You hate him. You heard it here first, folks. You Chase fucking hate him. Fucking hates Rigby. Oh man. <laughs> no, it was just. I think it was just like his actions in the first episode. Especially the part where he's like, while you guys were in the bathroom, I was sending a bunch of stuff to the moon. Bunch of baby ducks. Send them to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is after he already sent somebody to the moon. Yeah. I don't know. I still just love him. All right. Your favorite part? Yeah. My favorite part was uh, the very end. Do you think he noticed the hole? He won't now and just hangs the fucking poster over it. Yep, that's literally what I said. I just I like, just my, like particularly, I like so that dumb. all the other drywall has fallen off except for yeah. that for some fucking reason. And he's like, uh, you think you know it? It's like the hall, the drywall's gone. <laughs> like, it doesn't <laughs> even matter. I just love that. It was like, you guys got to clean up this whole mess or you're fired. And he's like, oh man, the hole's still there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think yeah. Benson noticed? He just won't know. The thing. He won't now. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't list the least favorite part. Like I was I trying to think of like one right after that, and it was when Benson like asks for the money back, and I'm like, I think that's why he was partially my least favorite character because I'm like, really, like you don't even pay them well, like what, like just let them have the money, like fuck, <laughs> <laughs> like oh, fucking Mister, what is it, what is his name, Pops, like paid him in Pops. candy, literally, like, yeah, <laughs> what. <laughs> So that was what I put as my least favorite because I was like, really? You're going to ask for the money back? You yeah. fucking chode. I think, I think it makes more sense because technically, if this is your second experience with the show, right? If you watch the the pilot, which is eventually remade into that first day episode, like that has a lot of almost not full backstory, but like it like sort of shows they aren't really trustworthy to begin with. So like yeah, him asking for the money back feels more like realistic. As someone who like, hasn't seen that, I didn't like yeah. it. Okay. So fuck off. Um, I will. I will fuck off all the way to my <laughs> um, good noodle stars rating, which is six out of seven. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was also six out of seven. You didn't see it, but I turned to it. the mirror in my closet door and I pointed at myself. When I, said <laughs> I did that. not see it. We really got to start turning our cameras on for this. Oh my god, that's actually hilarious. I also, yeah, pick six out of seven. I can fully see myself watching this show. Yeah, I might turn it back on because I forgot there were so many seasons and knowing that there's a movie, I was like, I didn't realize that there was a movie and I don't remember mm-hmm. them going to space. I think the last time I tried to tune in and watch it, there were only five seasons. So yeah, um, obviously that was back in college. I say obviously, you but didn't people go know to how college. old I am, but 
um, that was back in college. That was back when he would have been in college, everybody, just so you know. It's amazing that you got a job in accounting for never having gone know, to college. Right? For not having gone to college and having absolutely zero work experience whatsoever. Yeah. Honestly, I'm surprised you've kept jobs. Well, actually, that's the other thing that I'm lying about. First, I lied about going to college. Now I'm lying about having a job. So, Wait, you literally showed me around your office. That's why I'm pushing to have this podcast monetized as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Whose office did you show me around? Well, it's, it's not what it's not worry about. Okay? It's, I, I not, care more about not, that. <laughs> no, it's not worry about. It, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you have a show for us to do, right? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Oh fuck, man. It's not even that late. Okay, my dearest Chase. Uh, what do you know about the show Courage the Cowardly Dog? Um. Yeah. I mean, like I've seen it, right? Like I've watched the show. I watched it when I was younger. I've seen a mm -hmm. few episodes here and there. I obviously remember it being really creepy and whatnot, but I, I don't know anything about the creation or any of the like actors. Um, and then there was the uh, the whole Ooga Booga Booga. Oh, yeah, always. From Eustace. Always. Ooga Booga Booga. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's my favorite thing. I say that a lot sometimes. Not a lot, but I do say that sometimes. I, say, I can honestly like, say I don't think I've ever heard you say that. Until just now. Where I say, sometimes I'll say, stupid dog, you make me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't know that I've ever heard you say that, but okay. <laughs> I just said sometimes. I caught myself. I said I don't always say it. I sometimes say it. I know. I'm just saying we, we hang out a lot. Or I say it to your home. dog a lot. Hey. Stupid dog, you make me look no, bad. No, <laughs> the loo is the best dog. I just you say it to all Lou. dogs. <laughs> no, you don't. You'd never say that to Lou. You're a liar. I just say it to dogs because I think it's funny. It's a funny thing to say. <laughs> it, is. it is. All right. Well, um, that was completely useless information. I'm just going to get rid of what you just said, and then uh, yeah. we'll go on to me talking about the episode, yeah? I'm fine with that, yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> all right. So the title of the pilot episode is A Night at the Cat's Motel slash Cajun Granny Stew. It came out on November 12th, 1999 on Cartoon Network. Places you can watch it, apparently, not for the pilot episode, but you can watch pretty much all of the show except for the pilot episode on HBO. And then I almost said HBO Go, which is what it used to be, but it's just you can just watch it on the HBO Mac, HBO app. Um, and then also you can watch, if you want to watch the very first episode, you can watch it for free. You can watch the first episode, the first part of the first episode. So A Night at the Cat's Motel. You can watch that on the Boomerang app. And then if you want to watch anything else, you have to have a subscription to Boomerang. Um, but yeah, and then it is available for purchase on sites such as, uh, Amazon, Apple TV, and varying other places. And the creator's name is John R. Dilworth. The series synopsis is the offbeat adventures of Courage, a cowardly dog who must overcome his own fears to heroically defend his unknowing farmer owners from all kinds of dangers, paranormal events, and menaces that appear around their land. That sentence was weird to me. I hate reading out loud so much. I mean, the um, sentence is weird in general. Yeah. His unknowing farmer owners... I don't know why he just why it doesn't just say his unknowing owners. Like I know they're farmers, but like, we, did we really need that in there? No, we didn't. What are they farmers anyway. of? I don't think that's worth going through right now. But like <laughs> now, really I'm thinking not. about it. <laughs> I don't know actually. What I know that they have a chicken coop. I know that, but um, I don't know what but they actually I've farm. I've never seen their chickens. 
Well, I'll get into that. It's fine. Um, the synopsis of the first part of the pilot episode, A Night at the Cat's Motel, is Muriel, Eustace, and Courage check into a motel by a sinister cat, run by a sinister cat named Cats, with a K. It turns out to be a very long night when Cats turns his, spi- his, <laughs> his spiders loose on them. I don't know why. Oh, that's right. That threw me off. Uh, loose is spelt wrong. It's lose. And mm. that is literally how it's spelt on IMDb. So that's ah, fucked up. Nice. <laughs> I was like, wait, lose on them. Because um, I just copy and paste because I'm lazy. And then I copied the, and pasted as well. So I don't yeah. blame you. Ironically, they didn't. Not, I don't know if it's ironic, but they didn't actually have a synopsis of the Cajun Granny Stew one. I had to find it on a different site, mm. but it's and I Maybe didn't watch real. it because I didn't. Maybe it's not real. I didn't watch it because I did not want to watch. I didn't want to pay for Boomerang, if I'm being completely honest. So I it's didn't watch It's literally this. the only episode you'd ever have to, like, if you already have a subscription to HBO Max, it's the only episode only, you'd have yeah. to pay for. <laughs> exactly. So I just, I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> the synopsis for Cajun Granny Stew is Courage must defend Muriel from a fox who has tried to steal her for the for use as a main ingredient in his Cajun Granny Stew, which he hopes will win him first prize. <laughs> if i'm being completely honest i kind of remember that episode like just from I, having seen thing. it in the i past. don't remember that episode i kind of remember that one mostly because the the fox is like very familiar looking but if i'm also being honest the fox looks a lot like cats from the cats motel one so True. i don't know anyway all right so let's uh let's go into a little bit of the creator's history so john r dilworth was born on february 14th 1963 in new york city new york um, he attended the college of, I don't have anything about his childhood. So his information Perfect. was a little sparse and kind of all around, but I finally kind of grouped together enough of it to, to get some, some information that I think is useful into the creation of courage. Cool. So, so he grew up in New York city. He grew up in New then, York city and uh, then he attended college by aliens. Nope. <laughs> nope. Not that's just, down right that's inaccurate. College. Inaccurate statements, but it's fine. Okay, uh, he attended the College of School of Visual Arts in New York City. After graduating in 1985, Dilworth became an art director at Baldy Bloom and Whalen Advertising, but continued to make his own films in his spare time. Um, there was an article I was reading where he talked about how he'd always wanted to be in animation, but could, didn't have like a, a way in, so that's why he worked for this advertising agency at first um but it's also why he would spend many of his nights making his own short films um so particularly one of those films that he worked on was called the limited bird and for approximately two years dilworth would go home after his job in advertising and work on the animation for this short once finished he was able to use this piece of work as an example of his own abilities and how uh his i don't even know what the fuck i was trying to write here Either way, he used this piece of this short film to help him get a foot in the door and, well, like, to work in animation. So he was working in advertising, worked on this film for two years after work, and then used it as a, basically, a um, portfolio as, as the best example. Um, and kind of nice. sold it, yeah, sold it around. Not sold it, but uh, sent it around so that people could kind of see what he was capable of. Um, Dilworth then began actually working for a variety of animation studios as an assistant or cell painter. I didn't know what a cell painter was, so I'm going to give a little info on that. So cell animation is a form of traditional 2D animation. Cell is short for celluloid, Hmm. 
as the images were drawn on thin transparent sheets of plastic material. This material was sometimes not always celluloid, but in, but in traditional cell animation, each individual frame is drawn onto a cell in, the, in black ink. The cell is then flipped over and color is applied to the opposite side. Backgrounds are created separately when both when uh, backgrounds are created separately, and then when both are complete, the transparent cell is stacked in front of the background, then photographed to achieve a finished frame of animation. Um, so mm -hmm. I don't. It was interesting because when I first read this, it made it seem like it was like the in between animation. Um, when I first read that he was an assistant and cell painter, but it sounds like he didn't draw the frames necessarily for the cells, but he would do the coloring if that makes sense gotcha. um i don't know for a fact because it was kind of confusing the way it was worded in the article right. i was reading but that's kind of what i gathered either way i also didn't like know that about animation and, and particularly cell animation um which was kind of cool Anyway, so uh, during his time working for various animation studi studios, he happened to work for Nickelodeon, where he actually worked on the original version of the popular show Doug, which I don't know if you've ever seen mm -hmm. that, but yeah. like, that was a show I very vividly remember from my childhood. Um, in 1991, he actually founded his own animation studio called Stretch Films, which he then later incorporated in 1994. He made an animated short called The Chicken from Outer Space that was nominated for an Academy Award in 1966, but similar to your guy, he did not win. Um, however, I actually did decide to look up because I was kind of curious who he lost to. He ended up losing to um, a short called A Close Shave by Nick Park, who is well known for Chicken Run, the various Wallace and Gromit movies, and Shaun the Sheep. Oh, wow. Apparently... A Close Shave is actually a very, like, the first rendition of any Wallace and Gromit ever. It's the same two characters. I was going to say, it sounded familiar. Yeah, so he like, won... I feel like I'd heard of that before. Yeah, he won the Academy uh, Academy Award in 1996. I wrote 1966. <laughs> 1996. <laughs> wow, that's impressive. That's impressive. <laughs> the guy was born in 1963, and he was already nominated... <laughs> that's fucking hilarious did How i say impressive. 96 i hope i said 96 i don't know <laughs> well either way i'll At keep this, this point, part in in case i know didn't. it's 96 we know it's 96 yeah um the short that uh that dilworth created though the chicken from outer space ultimately became the stepping stone for dilworth to get an offer from cartoon network to turn it into a series which eventually became courage the cowardly dog now i know i kind of just read that part fast I'm going to kind of backtrack on this. This was just information I wanted to provide just because so you could see a general timeline of his life. In regards to the actual development of Curse the Cowardly Dog, in 1994, Dilworth actually created a short for Liquid Television, which was a show kind of like the What a Cartoon thing, but it was on MTV. Yeah. Um, he created something. It, the short that he created was called Smart Talk with Raisin. I briefly watched like a little bit of it because it was very, very crude animation. And okay. Not entertaining, personally. Um, but the there's a character in there that looks like a very uh, I, I don't have a better word than the one I just used. A very crude version of what Courage ultimately becomes. But the dog's mm. name was actually Hamilton. There are some other characters that kind of look similar to Eustace and Muriel, um, but mostly people people say that it like was kind of a, a step in the direction of like the creation of courage the cowardly dog and then other things i read said that the only relation is that courage that hamilton looks similar to what courage ultimately looked like so 
kind of hard to tell what is actually true and what wasn't in that scenario. But the one thing I know for a fact is that Hamilton definitely looks like a weird fucked up version of courage. And I feel like he probably took that character and was like, I'm just going to move it over to this. Makes sense. Yeah. So then, (laughs) right. I mean, it's a very similar thing and pretty much almost any animation thing we've ever done. Any animation show we've ever done. There have been crude versions of the characters prior to the actual pilots that end up yeah. being created. So, like, not necessarily the same character, but basically yeah. the same character. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. So, Dilworth uh, actually had the idea to make a full-on show about Hamilton slash Courage, and he started actually pitching it to Hannah. At this point, he has just for reference. At this point, he has worked for numerous animation studios as that kind of assistant cell painter person. So he's met numerous people throughout his like brief career in animation up to this point. Um, he had the idea to create a show around this dog in general at the time, Hamilton slash Courage. Um, he then started to pitch ideas to various studios and or animation studios. He ultimately pitched it to Hanna-Barbera and Hanna-Barbera decided to make it a part of their short showcase, which we've talked about previously, not only in this episode alone, but just on previous episodes, but they made it a part of their short showcase. What a cartoon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this is back when it was Hanna-Barbera was still staying and it was still called what, what a cartoon. cartoon. Precisely. Um, so he pitched it to Hanna-Barbera. They approved it for what a cartoon, just a short and like you kind of talked about the what a cartoon thing is just a short it's literally just to showcase short animation like bits of animation mm-hmm. it's not full episodes or anything it's not like full on series it's to showcase people's abilities to animate and create stories um so Hanna Barbera approved it this was actually in association with Cartoon Network um Cartoon Network supposedly fund helped it fund the creation of this animated short so it's not surprising that they ultimately are the ones who picked it up However, the short was called, as I said earlier, The Chicken from Outer Space, and it was it came out in 1996 and then also received an Oscar nomination in that same year. And then that led to Cartoon Network putting in putting an offer out to Dilworth to create a full-on series for the show. Or sorry, for the short. And then um something I was reading, I don't oh my god, well, I fucking forgot to write it down, but Something I was reading is basically um, how similar to how uh, regular show had their like original pilot, which was on the car. Right. It was on the cartoon cartoon thing. Right. Cartoonnetwork.com. Cartoonnetwork.com. But similar to that, people see the chicken from outer space as the actual pilot for Courage the Cowardly Dog. However, it like technically isn't. And it also doesn't have the same voice actor for Courage. So to me, I'm like, that's not, that was like the skeleton bones first concept, first thing that they ever did for it. And then they ultimately created something out of that. But it is, the Chicken from Outer Space is literally all of the characters. It's Courage, it's Eustace, it's Muriel, and then it's some crazy one. And then it's literally Chicken from Outer Space. (laughs) The funny part is, is like, when I watched that, that, little uh short i like i genuinely kind of remember something similar to it in courage the cowardly dog so i don't know if they ended up taking and i didn't re- i mean like I, the- I didn't not research this because i did a fair amount of research on all of it and like there's just unfortunately 
a lot of just repetitive information. I mean, but I can I th think of an episode in my head, like just sort of playing out where a chicken comes from outer space. Yeah, like I feel but like there I is don't something. No, if it's. I think more so for me, episode. I just I remember something where Eustace chain Eustace eats something that Muriel makes, and he starts to change shapes in it. I feel like it was like a a fucking chicken, but I could be wrong. There's a lot of weird shit on this show. Um. That's pretty much honestly all I have from it. Like his life leading up to it was pretty straightforward. Like I said, I don't have anything about his childhood. The mo like a fun fact for me is what I just briefly touched on, but there's actually only one line of dialogue in the very end of that chicken from outer space thing. Um, the voice actor was actually Howard Hoffman and he had a drastically different voice from what was uh, from Marty Grabstein, who was ultimately cast as Courage. However, Howard Hoffman had actually done all of like the weird little noises you hear in that short, um, which is very similar. The style is very similar to what Courage still ultimately becomes, which mm -hmm. is like a lot of physical comedy and a lot of animate, like um, a lot of audible, funny moments like that if that makes sense right. like a lot of uh, 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 that kind of stuff yeah um howard hoffman and supposedly did that for all of the characters in um the chicken from outer space but the only actual gotcha. line comes from courage at the very end of it and his voice is very deep it's not it's not the <laughs> muriel that we know now um this is what yeah. i get for love this is what i get for love um, the only other things I was going to kind of touch on briefly was the, uh, the reception of it. I have like, <laughs> I didn't actually copy and paste these. I'm pulling them from the, the Wikipedia page, but mm -hmm. John G. Nettles of Pop Matters reviewed the show and called it a fascinating and texture <laughs> textured mixture of cartoon and horror movie conventions and a joy to watch, nice. which is pretty, pretty accurate. Um, Alex Mastas, which is not Masters, it's literally M A S T A S, of okay. Lights Out Films review. <laughs> I don't understand these reviews, like where they're coming from. I've never even heard of Lights Out Films, but it's yeah. fine. Reviewed the show and gave it a grade A minus and described it. The backgrounds are rich and imaginative. They composite uh, they composite a lot of the show over real photos and occasionally integrate CGI into the cartoon. The look is weird and ethereal. Just like the ethereal. show itself. Ethereal. <laughs> I fucking knew I said it wrong. The second I said it. Ethereal. Yeah. Ethereal. <laughs> ethereal. This is why I hate reading out loud. I'm fucking terrible at it. Um, I I did find that one interesting. Um, I remember why I kind of wanted to read these because I do remember seeing something at one point where it was like a um it was like a, you know, Dilworth reviews his like favorite parts of animation or some shit like that. And it okay. was like it was like along the lines of he intentionally used varying types of animation in Courage the Cowardly Dog to make it feel weird, which is where you get that like CGI, some mm, CGI yeah. integrated stuff, the real photo overlays that like have like, you know, crude drawings of what looks like, like trying to still make it look more animated, but it's actually still a real photo in the background. So it's interesting. I don't think you actually get that in the first episode, if I'm being honest, from the cat's... Uh, from the cat's motel i don't know if it happens in the cajun granny one but yeah so i found that interesting but that's kind of that's kind of all i got 
I mean, I feel like it happens in the Cats Motel. It's essentially like all of the backgrounds are just flat pictures. It's like the exterior. Yeah. Yeah. And then they just overlay the animations on top of it, and it feels weird, but it's supposed to feel weird. Yeah. I mean, I like truly don't know how I watched the show as a kid, because I remember watch. I watched this whole show as a kid. And I don't know how my parents didn't see me watching it and be like, no, <laughs> no, it's fun. It's a scary fucking show. Like if you're a child it's watching terrifying. this shit, it's creepy and scary. And I'm like 90% of the time, I'm just fucking mad at Eustace because he just doesn't fucking care. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, there was a um, just to kind of do what you do, because I never do it. And I always forget to think about it until I hear you do it. That's why I sometimes like you going first. The show ran for four seasons. It ended in um, 2002 was the final uh, November of 2002 was the final episode. Mm-hmm. They did. They recently did a crossover event with uh, Scooby-Doo, which is on HBO as well. And I think I can't exactly remember what it's called, but <sighs> it's something in nowhere. Let me just look it up real quick before I fucking Scooby-Doo in nowhere. Straight out of nowhere, Scooby Doo meets Courage the Cowardly Straight Dog. Straight out of nowhere, <laughs> yeah, it's That's called so Straight funny. Out of Nowhere. Scooby Doo meets Courage the Cowardly Dog. <laughs> That's actually um, funny. Supposedly, it, it's weird because he is credited on the IMDb page for it. John Dilworth is, but what I read was that he actually had no association with the actual story of it. It sounds like he might be only credited for characters, and that's it. Mm, yeah. Um. I don't know why, and it doesn't look like he's done a whole lot since, but yeah. So that's on HBO. The rest of the show outside of the pilot episode is on HBO, and uh, I don't know that they have any plans to do anything more with it, but I do find it interesting that there have been like no other renditions of Courage the Cowardly Dog since 2002, and all of a sudden they did a Scooby-Doo Courage crossover. So Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I have no idea. I'm kind of interested in what dealing with mysteries they're two dogs that deal with mysteries i feel like courage's mysteries are far fucking scarier um <laughs> yeah they're actual supernatural mysteries where literal f- is they're like, not even mysteries oh, that's old man like, drinking <laughs> yeah it's literally always some fucking old man wearing a mask you're like well, how excuse me um anyway yeah so that's kind of the that is courage the cowardly dog that's what i got i'm also shocked but i'm more shocked about the fact that there hasn't been a single reboot and remake or request for either of those that's even been brought up about courage the cowardly dog yeah it just Uh, seems like one of those shows where it's like in this era where they're sort of remaking uh nostalgia bait essentially like a lot of nostalgia bait shows Mm -hmm. um that one is one that to me feels like is would be at the top of people's memories in such a way they'd be like okay i'll check out this courage the cowardly dog like well, adult horror feels show, like, you know, like not an actual was, kids show anymore, but yeah. like it's a, now it's an adult horror show. That's kind of where know, my like brain that. was at. I was kind of like, yo, like HBO could actually do like a probably a really cool reboot of Courage the Cowardly Dog. That's like genuinely fucking terrifying. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, I still think even still watching these episodes, like watching the pilot episode. It's like it's still a creepy show. And like as I go through other episodes, it's a fucking creepy show. It is. It's a fucking creep. Like I'm just looking at like the literal thumbnails on IMDb for episodes. (laughs) And it's like this. Some of this shit is terrifying, bro. Anyway, that's that's what I got. Yeah, it's, it's scary. 
aside from all that, you wanna you wanna talk about superlatives? Let's get into some superlatives. All right. Uh, my favorite character. You only have uh, three really to pick from because Cats is only in this episode. I chose Courage. I respect that choice. Oh, you didn't choose Courage. I chose Muriel. Oh snap! I mean, I respect that choice as long as you don't fucking choose Eustace. I'm I'm fine with it. I just I think Muriel, the Muriel kicking like kicking the spider into the freaking toilet and then flushing it with her foot just is badass and then just getting out and drying off like nothing just fucking happened <laughs> i know it is really great it's just funny because it's like muriel is just so it's it's honestly surprising how much like more capable muriel is than like anyone else oh, yeah. in this show I know. and i kind of love it because it's like one of the few times where you get like a very strong female character However, she's still treated like shit from Eustace, so it's like, god damn it. But Yeah, but she fine. does stand up to him a lot. Yeah. And it's especially more apparent in the uh what what is the first episode on HBO Max the, uh, slash the second episode. Um I mean, I don't know. I haven't watched I didn't watch so, that one, but fair enough. Uh I assume I know your least favorite character. <laughs> it's Eustace. He's a fucking piece of, He's He's a piece, piece of shit. He's a piece of shit. Like, come on. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of a well, dick. More I mean, you're not disagreeing dick, with that, just right? Just a dick. I mean, honestly, I think I actually like cats more than I like Eustace. I just wish cats would have fucking. I do done like off cats more than I like. At least cats was a business owner. Yeah, and he's trying to get shit done. He's trying to feed his family of spiders. <laughs> Why does he have a family of overgrown fucking spiders? It's so I don't weird. Know. God, it is interesting to me though. Like the more I think about it, I'm like, it's so interesting that this this was their pilot episode. It's not something at home. It's not something else. And I didn't find out any like other information. So it's just interesting that that's technically speaking. Again, we didn't watch Cajun Granny Stew because I'm not fucking paying money for a single 11 minute episode of something. Yeah, I'm wondering when literally I have HBO Go and I don't have to pay for that. Whatever. Anyway, it's just funny to me because it's like the first experience if. Like the odds of people having seen the What a Cartoon, the original What a Cartoon thing, are, I feel like are not that big. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting that the first experience of the pilot episode is them not even at their home. Like they're literally on the road. True. But I don't know. Anyway, my favorite part uh, <laughs> was when Courage is trying to break his leash and he has like all these tools. And I literally <laughs> out loud, I said, my sister and I were watching it together and out loud, I was like, why doesn't he use this shit to like fight the spider? <laughs> like that feels a lot more logical. But then I just love the sheer fact that uh, then he just ultimately is able to snap it. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he literally does all the shit. He gets a chainsaw. He has a like flamethrower. He has a fuck it. He does like some weird like explosion the, the chemistry, combination. Like, yeah, chemical explosion or whatever. Exactly. None of it does yeah. it. And then ultimately he's able to just like snap it. That was but, uh that was my favorite part as well. Yeah. I thought that part was hilarious. And that I just was, just the yeah. I think it's the end of it that makes it where he bites it and he's like, <laughs> Yay, and runs away, and then the spider just sort of walks up and stops. Yeah, <laughs> just literally, like the, the spider scene. hasn't been watching him the entire time. Like he couldn't just keep chasing him. It's just so funny. Yeah, it really is. And then, like the snap is uh, just such like a little baby. Like, like it just barely yes. snaps, and you're just like, <laughs> yeah. But it, it's kind of it's those kinds of visual gags that made the show so entertaining. I think very true. Very you know, very like true. Using the sort of like all these outlandish things, and then it's the simple plan that works in the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, least favorite part least favorite part is the fact that eustace didn't get eaten 
<laughs> it's, it's not, not even a fart. That's just literally what I wrote. I was like, the fact that he didn't get eaten is so fucking irritating. Oh, but I know funny. why you need Eustace for the entire thing. I like. <laughs> I didn't really have a least favorite part, if I'm being completely honest. So like, that's why I wrote this. But I'm just like, fuck. Why can they just um, let him get eaten? <laughs> my uh, my least favorite part. I just wrote big spiders. That's valid. Um, because I. I'm not an arachnophobe, but that's something that I've gotten over in my adulthood. Mm. Uh, but I had major arachnophobia because as a kid, I saw the movie Arachnophobia. Honestly, yeah, that's fucking valid. Yeah, so my my least favorite part is just big spiders because I remember being tortured by the thought of giant spiders as a child. And it just sort of brings back bad memories. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I hate spiders, but like for some reason, I just would rather. They're cartoonish in this episode yeah. for the most part. But they're still creepy. They're creepy, but like they're not realistic, which is like if you watch Arachnophobia and, or probably Eight Legged Freaks as well. They're real spiders, yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're realistic spiders. Yeah, fair. Um, Noodle stars for me. I actually gave this a five out of seven. Mostly because Same. I kind of just like I forgot how creepy it is, and I I can't fathom that I would actually put it on myself. However, the comedic bits are still super awesome, and I do love those parts. And I do yeah. see that if like I do, I mean I do want to check out that Scooby Doo the Straight Out of Nowhere one, but mm. like the show in it of itself, the only way I'd possibly watch this again is if like somebody put it on and was like yeah let's watch some Courage the Cowardly Dog, and I'd be like oh, okay, <sighs> sorry. Um, yeah, no, I pretty much exactly the same explanation for five out of seven for me. Like it's, it's very nostalgic to watch. And I, I do love the comedic bits and the sarcasm from having, having watched an episode that had like the computer in it, uh, mm -hmm. as well, um, sort of inspired this, but just sort of that start, like he, like even in the pilot episode, he has that sort of sarcastic commentary mm -hmm. and i i do love all that all the sarcastic commentary in it as well yeah yeah i mean it's i do like i watching the pilot episode was fucking seriously nostalgic like i it brought back yeah. so many memories from my childhood but i also like i'm like yeah no i don't need to like go back and watch this show <laughs> no i don't so. i definitely don't need to put it on ever yeah, no ever <laughs> Um, the, the last thing I wanted to mention that was just about sort of Courage the Cowardly Dog, mm -hmm. uh, and almost maybe regular show as well in a weird sense is, you know how people always have these theories like, like, oh, this, like we're viewing it from this perspective, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I've seen this theory a couple of times on the internet about Courage the Cowardly Dog where you're not viewing it from what actually happened. You're viewing it from the perspective of, of courage, courage, who's terrified of everything. I've seen that as well. Yeah. So in the context of the pilot episode, you walk into a motel on vacation, like on a trip. And the, the guy at the front says no dogs allowed to him. He hates cats. So that guy becomes a cat. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, oh, this is this is a motel that's only for cats because they hate dogs. Yeah. Um, he sees some spiders and he freaks out because now he just thinks that there's spiders all over the place. Um, like any moment where he's not there, like he's just 
like that's just how he's picturing it happening rather than like mm-hmm. how it's actually happening. Like, sure, Muriel may have flushed a spider down the drain, but it wasn't a big spider attacking her. It was just a small spider in the shower, which happens all the time. Yeah. So it's just sort of that sort of theory, which I do really enjoy that theory about Courage the Cowardly Dog. I mean, yeah. No, that makes sense. I always think of... It's just uh, fun to view it that way. Yeah. I always think of the the, um, Ed, Ed, and Eddie one. Yeah, where they're all dead. They're all like dead and they're all in limbo. And that's why you literally never see parents. Yeah. It's not even like Charlie Brown parents. You just literally never see parents. Yeah. The the thing I was going to say about uh, the same vein in regular show is it's like you imagine Mordecai and Rigby are trying to explain their way out of a situation that they have themselves in. So you're seeing it from the story they're telling. And they're telling an outlandish story about like, oh, yeah. And then like we got sent to the moon and that's why the room's a mess and there's this hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like obviously it was written to just be an outlandish thing, but you could view it from that same perspective of like if you view this from this perspective, it kind of starts to fit into itself, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. In a, in a weird Makes way. Sense. Like these guys are just yeah. trying to save their jobs by trying to give the most outlandish explanation possible. To make it seem like what's really happened is actually kind of not that bad, really, right? Yeah. (laughs) And you shouldn't fire us. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate every one of you for taking the time to do so. If you don't currently, be sure to follow us on your podcasting platform of choice, as well as on Instagram, at Back to the Pilot, so you know when a new episode gets released. And while you're here, leave a review and let us know how we're doing. Join us next time for a couple popular dubbed animes with Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh!, We hope you had a fantastic time listening, and we'll see you next time when we take you back to the pilot. So long, everyone. My favorite part is when you asked if I was ready, and I said yes, and I just (laughs) muted my mic. You don't have anything to say. (laughs) I do it every time. Exactly. I do it every time. Every time. I mean, this is valid, because technically, I mean, previous seasons, we didn't use this method of recording, so I would have had to make, you had to make sure I was recording and all that stuff. Now you're aware, and I can can see see all that that information. recording is on the screen, and there's a red dot that tells me you're recording, and I don't have to ask any more questions, but I still do, because I like to be prepared. Hashtag Scouts Honor. Uh I was not a Boy Scout ever. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember you being a Boy Scout. It was crazy. I never was. Uh. Oh, my God. That's fucking hilarious.